Good morning, good morning. It's good to see you guys. My name is Grant. If we haven't met before, welcome. If you're new, if you're visiting us, great to have you here. If you've been here for a long time, great to have you here too. I thought before I get into our new series, which we're starting today, a series called Knowing God, I thought I'd actually just put someone on the spot a little bit and just speak to them a little bit about their own relationship with God. So Mr. Mnyandu, why don't you come forward? I want to ask you three questions. Come on, don't be shy. Don't be sheepish. We know you've got a loud voice. Come and stand next to me. Three quick, easy questions, and then you can sit down and enjoy the rest of your morning. Come on, come on, right in the middle here. So if I think about prayer, Tabani to me is one of the guys that, um, I, I don't know, doesn't define prayer, embodies prayer, prays well. You might have been standing here on one of our Sunday gatherings, and you heard someone making a really loud noise while we were worshiping and singing. It's probably Tabani getting a bit carried away praying and just crying out to God for whatever he's put on your heart. So I wanted to ask three things to inspire some people in this room to know God more. Question number one. You told me this week that you've been studying the life of David. What is one thing from David's life that has inspired you about knowing God? Ooh, on the spot. Um, I think the one thing that's inspired me about the life of David, that um, the Bible says that he had a heart that was after God. Um, he, he wanted to do the things of God. He wanted to be um, in the purposes of God. Um, yeah, and I think that's, that's it for me, that David was a man was earnestly seeking God and seeking the ways of God and wanting to live out his life in a way that glorified God. Okay, question number two. What is one thing that you are falling more in love with God about, about his character, about who he is, or something you're learning about him? Sure. <laughs> okay, can you repeat the question? <laughs> this is what it's called to stall for time. I don't know if you guys have learned that trick. Tabani's mind is racing at 100 miles an hour. What is something you're learning about God that is like a fresh revelation, new insight, something that you love more about Him? Um, yo, Grant would have helped if you gave me notice, eh? Um, but I think the one thing that I'm, uh, I'm starting to love more and, and more about God is, um, is that God is always there for us. Um, that God loves us deeply, um, that no matter what is happening in the externalities of life, um, uh, that just like as he said in his word, that he'll never leave nor forsake you. So even if I'm having trouble with finances, even if I'm having trouble with whatever it is that's going on in my life, um, I can go back and speak to God and, and, and he, he provides. Okay, last question. What is one tip you would give to someone in this room who's wanting to grow to know God? that has been like really important, a killer tip for you in getting to know God? Oh, that's easy. Pray and spend time with God. <laughs> Can we give Tabani a round of applause? Thank you so much. It's not easy being up here, guys. It's a little intimidating. I thought you did so, so well. You shared very well. If you don't know, if you're new here, if you're visiting, um, if you're kind of exploring faith in this church, we've said that our vision as a church is to know Jesus and make Jesus known. It's why we exist it's what we're living for. Um, it's what we really want to see formed in every person here in this community and us together as a group of people. And as we prepared for 2018 as a leadership team, we felt like God was highlighting a bunch of things to us that could probably fall under the category of a culture of knowing God. 
that He was wanting to shape that in us and grow that in us more and more and more. It's one of the reasons we're starting this new series today, very creatively entitled, Knowing God. Now, for me, I've been in the church and a Christian for 20 years, two decades this year. It's a long time. I realize it's two-thirds of my life now. I've been kind of part of a community like this. And I remember when I was first in church, the first six or so years, I don't know if they preached about it or not. I don't know if I heard this stuff or not, but I never had any idea at all that I could know God. It was completely out of my mind. And maybe that's my fault, maybe that's their fault, but I joined a new church called Red Point, the church that sent us out and planted this community down in Durban. And it felt like every single week, the only thing they ever spoke about was knowing God. I'm pretty sure, again, that's not true. I think I would go there and they'd be preaching on marriage and I'd leave there go, that was an amazing preach on knowing God. They'd be speaking about parenting or, I don't know, going and making disciples of all nations or prayer or tithing or whatever. I'd leave there going, God's really speaking about knowing Him at the moment, you know. But there was this phrase that stood out to me at that time, which was a personal relationship with God or with Jesus. And I think there were a lot of churches that were talking about this idea of a personal relationship with God. And this was like a revelation for me. I'd never heard this or it never stood out to me. And it blew my mind that I could know God practically, that I could know Him, experience His presence, that I could have an experiential relationship with Him. And even today, as I use that phrase, a personal relationship with God, it sounds super cliche to me, because I think I heard it so many times, it's almost like burnt into my soul, that using it today, 20 years later, it almost feels like such an outdated thing. But the ideas and the truths are things we need to hear again and again, because they're so real and important. During that kind of phase of life, I think people wouldn't just use that phrase, they would also talk about uh, having a relationship, not religion, you know? We're into relationship, not religion in this church. Some of you who are in church, maybe in the 90s, early 2000s, you understand that, you know that phrase too. And really what they were saying is we don't want some kind of dry, um, external, moralistic faith. We want a living, vibrant faith where we know and walk with God by His Spirit in everyday life. That is what people were after and were talking about. And this really gripped my heart. Honestly, it felt like my life changed as God started to speak to me about these things and highlight them to me. And I think for us as a church now, this is something God is wanting to highlight to us. Now listen, I think there's a danger. We can kind of pick and choose which truths we like and kind of reject other ones. And I think in Durban and I think in churches around the world in different cities and places, what has happened is our culture has become more independent, a little bit more self-absorbed. What people have done said, I'll take this personal relationship with Jesus thing, but I'm going to reject the church community thing. Because that's got some great parts or parts to it, but some really difficult, uncomfortable parts too. So I'm going to shelve that. It's just Jesus and me. I'm doing church at home. That's kind of my plan going forward. And that's one of the reasons we started this year with our Life Together series, looking at life groups and building community and making disciples and all of that, because we want both and, you know? It's not either or. It's not, sheesh, I love community. I'm not too interested in God, but I want to be part of this church. And it's not, sure, I really want to know Jesus. I just don't really like His people, you know? It's both and. We need a personal relationship with each other in the church, and we need a personal relationship with Jesus. So we really want to see that grow and built into us as a church. And what we're going to do over the next eight or so weeks on Sundays and midweek in our life groups is we're going to explore this theme together as a church. Hopefully it'll be very practical. Hopefully it'll be very helpful. And hopefully over this next while, you're going to feel like your relationship with God grows and grows and goes deeper and deeper. We really, really desire that.
Now listen, I know that there are probably 10 or 20 people in this room, maybe even more, who I could put you on the spot, like I just put Tabani on the spot, and call you up and say, tell us about God. And you've been in church long enough, or you've read enough, that actually you could fire off a whole bunch of things about God's attributes or characteristics, and we'd be intrigued, you know? But all you need to do is to read a book to be able to do that. You know, if you want to learn more about God, I'll recommend a book. You can go and get it. You can read through it. It'll be super, super helpful. And you could stand up here and say, God is omnipotent, all-powerful, powerful over all things. God is omniscient. He knows all things. God is transcendent, which means that He is far greater and supreme and more glorious uh, than we ever could be. But He's also imminent, which means He is intimately involved in the details of our lives and our world at an everyday basis. And you could fire off all of these cool theological terms, and all of these amazing ideas about God, but knowing about God doesn't mean that we know God. And that's the challenge and the danger for us in the church, is we are filled with information, but we are not filled with relationship. And I think that's what God is wanting to highlight to us now. Do you know Him? Do you know Him? Are you walking with Him? Is God an active part of your everyday life? When you wake up in the morning, do you start the day with Him? In the shower, in the car, eating breakfast, at work, dealing with different people, hard situations, easy situations. Are you welcoming God into the realities of all of those things that He can lead you and be a part of your life? Because that's what we've been made for. St. Augustine, one of the great theologians of the church, said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. It's what we've been made for and designed for and what God is calling us to at this moment. We really don't want this to be a church that knows about God. We really want to know Him and grow in our relationship with Him. But how do we do this? Like the place you're in now, what does it look like for you to take your next step? If you feel like you know nothing about Jesus, nothing about church, nothing about knowing God, where do you start? How do we grow in this? If you've got a Bible with you, I can ask you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. Otherwise, it'll come up on the screen behind me. I'm going to read verse 8 to 15. I think one of the things I love about this passage, Paul the Apostle is writing to a church like ours, and he's writing about his own personal passion to know God, but he's also writing with like this deep conviction and desire that this church in the city of Philippi would also hunger to know God and seek Him for themselves. And he writes and says this from verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. While I was preparing for today, I looked back and I preached a message on this a few years ago here. You might remember this word rubbish is the Greek word skubalon, which really sounds like it could be, I don't know, a kid's Play-Doh or something like that. That's the kind of word I think of. Maybe you'll remember it, skubalon. But really that does mean rubbish, trash, garbage. But it can also be translated as poo or feces. And in fact, some translations of the Bible back in the day translated that word as turd or even in the 17th century, the S-bomb, which is quite an interesting thing. Maybe back in the day when they used that word, it didn't come across as strongly as it does for us today. I think if I used that word, some of you would be a little bit offended and shocked. But someone back in the day thought that would be a good translation for the word rubbish there. And what Paul is saying is, listen, houses, cars, jobs, Promotion, success, money, all of those things are really cool. But they are rubbish, trash, garbage, poo compared to Jesus. They're scubalon. And he goes on and he says, I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, 
not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. In this passage, Paul casts this vision for knowing God to this church hungry to see them catch hold of it and start to live it out. And this is going to be super cheesy, but this is the maths Paul is using in this passage. He says, everything minus Jesus equals nothing, but Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's super cheesy. Got it from the cover of a book, but I think you'll remember it. That is Paul's maths. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that's what he wants us to get. It's almost like Paul's got this scale, you know, kind of balancing out there. And he wants you to see this. You put everything on one side, everything you could want, everything you could desire, and the thing tips down. And what happens when you put Jesus on the other end of the scale? Does it start to kind of like balance out and then it leans towards Jesus' side? Paul is saying, no, 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 no. You put everything on one side and then you pop Jesus on the other side. It just goes thunk. And then everything else just goes scattered through the universe, just bolts off. Because he is so much weightier in glory than everything else in our lives. He is more important, more glorious, more amazing in every way than all of these other things that distract us and fill our attention. And Paul wants us to see this. As I read this passage, I thought Paul sounds much more like a man in love than he does this man boringly teaching theology, you know. And I don't know about you, I I reckon probably a lot of us in this room have been in love and have experienced the love goggle effect, you know. When before this person was ordinary, but then the love goggles go on and it's like your eyes change. You see them completely differently. You would do anything for them, you know? You would do everything. There would be no ask too big, no inconvenience that would affect you. You would give it all for this person. I don't know why Dale and Kerry are laughing. Maybe she asked him to do something this week and he said no. Do you want to share? Do you guys want to talk a little bit? We can take a moment for you guys if this is significant. When you are in love, (laughs) sorry if I've shamed you guys in front of the whole church, it's just the way we roll at Harbor City, if you're new, welcome. (laughs) Can you raise your hands, we'll also embarrass you just now. But Paul was super in love with Jesus, you know, and some of us know this effect. When Shell and I were dating, I remember this is such a silly example, but we had dinner at Spigger on Florida Road with her parents for her dad's birthday, and I remember the end of that time, I was living in Durban, she was living in Asagai. And I just didn't want to say goodnight yet, you know. So she was going home with her folks, and I just said, ah, let me just, let me drive you home, you know. 40 minutes to go to Asagai, such an inconvenience. Her, the complex she was in was like this long, windy thing to get down to the bottom. 40 minutes back home, an hour 20 later than I would have gone to bed otherwise. But for those 40 minutes, I didn't care about the time. I didn't care about the petrol cost. I didn't care about anything. I wanted to spend more time with her. And uh, yeah, I know, it's so cute, so, so cute. <laughs> I know some of you have got far greater sacrifice stories, but that's what I'm talking about. That's what Paul is talking about here, you know. It doesn't matter the cost. Jesus is worth everything. And maybe you feel that way about him too today. Maybe secondly, some of you have fallen in love 
and you've thought, I have hooked a 10. In the sea of ones, I have hooked a 10. More beautiful, more intelligent, more charming, more everything. Can they not see? Why would they choose her? Why would they choose him? Look at the one that I've got. It's kind of what Paul is saying in this passage. Jesus is everything, and he's greater than everything else. He's in love with Jesus. He's a worshiper. He is all in. Now listen, there's some deep emotion and passion that Paul is sharing in this passage. You see it there. He says that he will do anything as long as he may gain Christ, know him, and become like him. Jesus consumes his life, is his goal, is his vision, is his everything. He is living to know Jesus and make Jesus known. That's what Paul's life is all about. But Paul is talking about a kind of thinking here. He doesn't talk about feeling. He says thinking. He's talking about a worldview change, the way that all of us should think. And he says here that this isn't just for like this top tier few Christians out there. It's not like one or two of us in this room. He says this is what ordinary mature Christianity should look like. In verse 15, he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. So I want to fire a few questions at you guys, a little self-assessment moment. According to Paul's definition, are you mature? Secondly, do you think like Paul? Thirdly, do you know and love Jesus? Does your life maths look the way Paul's does? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Would you give everything else up if you could have him? I think Paul's love poem here in Philippians 3 is one of the reasons that marriage is such a beautiful metaphor for what our relationship with Jesus should look like. I think it's one of the reasons that um, throughout Scripture we see the church called the Bride of Christ. Now, if we want to cultivate a healthy relationship with God, or anyone for that matter, one of the things that we need to do is invest time. Time becomes a really important thing. But it's not the fact that we give time that counts. It's what we do with that time that matters, you know? Spending time just sitting next to each other watching TV or a movie isn't going to cut it. You need to use that time well. And our relationship with God is so much like our relationship with a spouse. So here's an example with a spouse. Once you are married, you can't do any more to be more married to the person, you know? It's not about effort. You are married no matter how much effort you put into this thing. If I do a ton of stuff for Shell, I'm not anymore married to her. You know, we've made that commitment. We've made that covenant. We've made those vows. But I do have this choice. Will I put effort and energy into this marriage to make it a good marriage or won't I and it'll be a bad one? That's kind of the choice that I've got. And it's exactly the same with our relationship with God, you know? You are not in Christ. You are not a Christian. You are not saved or born again or whatever phrase you want to use because of anything you do. It's all what Jesus did. You are in Him because of Jesus and the cross and His death, His sacrifice in your place. If you've responded to Him, you are in Christ and you're right with God. You can't do anything more to be more in Christ, you know? You can't do anything more to be more of a Christian or to be more loved by God. You can't. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more or, or less. But based on what you do, you can have a good relationship with God or a bad relationship with God, you know? Just like the romance with your partner, you pour in energy and time and effort and thoughtfulness and kindness and sacrifice. Will we pour those same kinds of things into our relationship with God? We could cultivate and grow a really strong and mature and healthy and beautiful relationship with Him. Let me use Shell and I's relationship one more time just as an example. This year, we will have been best friends for 10 years. Very cute, eh? We've got a decade under our belts. And we have built this relationship slowly over time. I mean, if you were on some of our first dates with us, fly on the wall, it would have been awkward and uncomfortable. We did not have good first dates. For some reason, we stuck it out, and now it's great. But the early days were awkward. 
now, oh, now I'm so smitten, eh? Yeah, I know you're smitten too. So some of the things we do, she's the most smitten, guys. Some of the things we do, you know, to cultivate this and to use the time well. When we walk around, we hold hands together. So cute. You know, we've talked about everything I can think of. I'm sure there's some things I don't know about Shell and she doesn't know about me, but probably they're like weird, obscure things that don't really matter. They're historical things. We know all the big stuff, you know. I make tea for Shell in bed every morning. I feel like I throw that out as a brag every now and then. It's not really a big deal, but it's just a sweet little habit in our marriage. We serve each other in a whole bunch of different ways, which I think just show our love and sacrifice for one another. We know everything about each other. So for us, Mondays is our day off together. Now, after Sunday and being with all of you guys, it's great on Monday just to reconnect and chat and do things. We really love going and visiting new places, a new coffee shop or whatever it is. So we'll generally try and go grab breakfast with each other somewhere, or maybe we'll make a little meal at home, sit and chat. Shell likes to go walk on the beach. I hate it. So every now and then I'll say, okay, let's go have a walk on the beach, and we'll chat, and we'll do that thing for her, not for me, for her. I don't know if you guys have done the Gary Chapman five love languages thing. There's a free test online that you can do. Mine revealed that I'm a words of affirmation guy. So when Shell speaks these encouraging words to me, oh, just does something to my heart. I go to the shops and I buy Shell the smallest chocolate. It could be the cheapest thing in the store. I bring this back. The thoughtfulness of that action just woos her wonderfully, you know. We've studied each other and we've learned how one another work, at least a bit. Always more to find out. We cook together. We watch movies together. She really spoiled me on my birthday last Sunday. We make love regularly. I don't want to be crude about this, but I want to make this as an important illustration. I'm not going into details, just relax. But sometimes, sometimes when we make love, it's passionate and spontaneous and explosive, you know? Other times, I'm like, Shell, it's been a couple of days. <laughs> we should probably do this, you know? I think our marriage needs it. And we go, okay, and we walk to the bedroom. You know, it's not the fanciest thing in the world. I hope none of you are going red like Shell is in the front row here. <laughs> but I'm sharing this story for this reason. It's exactly the same with our relationship with God. Sometimes we're feeling red hot for God. We want to pray, want to read the Bible, want to worship, want to fast. We just can't wait to get home from work just so we can spend time with God. Other times we're like, sheesh, it's been a couple of days since I've had a quiet time, eh? I haven't spent time, I haven't opened my Bible in two weeks. How did that happen, you know? We go, I don't really feel like this, but I'm going to open my Bible, I'm going to pray, I'm going to make time to be with God because our relationship needs it. It's a healthy and a good thing. Shell and I celebrate special occasions. Last year was our five-year wedding anniversary. I'm sure we'll do something special for our 10th. On top of that, you know, there's daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, and special occasion things that we do. All of these things, we're not married because of these things, but all of these things together build a healthy and beautiful marriage. And it's the same in our relationship with God. We are not saved. We're not in Christ because of what we do. But the things that we do build a relationship which looks stronger and healthy and intimate and deep and beautiful. So what are some of the things that we can do to build this kind of relationship with God? If you read through the Bible, you will not find a complete list in any chapter. That would be easy. That's what I'd be preaching today if they did. But as you read through the Scriptures... You read the stories of the different people of God and how they engage with God throughout history. We see a whole bunch of practices or habits or disciplines that people put in place in their lives to know God. So I'm going to go through some of the most accepted ones now. You can go and check these out. These are all things that Jesus and the early church would have put in place too. And I'll start with prayer, probably the most important one. Prayer is really life with God. 
And I don't know what your prayer rhythms look like in life, if you pray daily, if you pray when there's troubles, if you pray throughout the day a number of times, but I've been challenged as I've read through Scripture, and I've seen how the different kind of heroes of the faith have prayed. So in Psalm 119, verse 164, we read about David's prayer life, how he put seven slots aside each day to get before God and to speak to him. Daniel chapter 6, we see Daniel's example. He prayed three times a day, these three different prayer slots. And pretty much for any devout Jew in Jesus' day, they would have had either two or three slots where they would have got before God in prayer to speak to Him and listen from Him. So probably Jesus did exactly the same. Two or three slots a day of set-apart time for prayer to be with God. And I know some of you in this room, you hate that idea. You think that is so unspiritual, that's so legalistic, that's so formulaic. But actually throughout Scripture and the history of the church, we see that is what the people of God have done. They've blocked out times in their calendar to get alone with God, to live a life of prayer immersed in Him. Now, in these times of prayer, we obviously speak to God. There's things that we want to ask Him for, but we do also listen to God and we ask Him to speak to us. Now, I'm pretty sure in a room like this, there are some people who have heard from God freshly this week and it's alive in your heart, and some people who have never heard from God, and maybe you're desperate to hear God speak. I want you to know that God is a speaking God. I was thinking of two illustrations of um, how we cannot hear God speak. Shall and I, as I've been speaking about a lot, to be married for six years in May, we've got into that place where sometimes Shell is speaking to me, but I'm not listening, you know? I don't know if it's just a guy thing. Maybe some of the ladies in the room are on the same place. Uh, Shane's are you saying Sonia doesn't do that or you don't do that, Shane? Yeah, Shane's good. Shane's, Shane's a better man. But sometimes I'm reading or I'm watching something or I'm on my phone or I'm working or I'm like just distracted. I can't do two things at once. And Shell's speaking to me and I'm not absorbing it at all. Like if this was a movie, you would see like silence and her lips moving and you know words are coming out, but I'm not absorbing anything. And then later she says, so what do you think about that? And I go, you've never told me about that. You know, I've never heard a thing of that before. So that's the one picture. Actually, God is speaking, but we aren't focused. We're distracted by other things and we don't hear Him speak. The other picture is this. Probably all of us in this room have got a phone in our pocket. Maybe not, maybe a little bit more disciplined. But actually, I reckon half of the people in this room have gotten a message, an email, a notification while you've been sitting here, worshiping, praying, listening to me talk. And when you leave here, you'll pick up your phone and you'll look and you'll see all of these messages you got. And the reality is, there are messages going through us all of the time. Just don't want to blow your mind here. Uh, radio waves, microwaves, TV things. You can see the signs coming out of me now. Wi-Fi signal. All of these messages are going through us and are like bouncing all around this room. But the reality is if we can't receive them, if we're not aware of them, actually we don't get the message. And I think some of us are like that with God. God is speaking and speaking and the message is coming to us and we're just not receiving it or translating it or engaging with it. And there's this amazing moment in Genesis 28. Jacob, one of the heroes of the faith, he's in the desert, he's doing his own thing. He goes to sleep, puts his head down on a rock, worst pillow of all time. And it says this, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and he had the most incredible dream or vision you can imagine of angels ascending and de descending from the throne of God, of God speaking about the call that he had on his life, about what he was wanting to do through Abraham, his grandfather, Isaac, his father, and now through him and his offspring. And he comes awake and he says this, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. In a sense, Jacob was there and God was speaking and he wasn't listening, he was distracted. All these signals were going through him and he wasn't receiving them. But all of a sudden, it's like God shakes him. 
and gets his attention and says, Jacob, this is what I want to say to you. He says, God was here all along. God was in this place. God was speaking to me, and I just haven't noticed. And I want you to know that God is a speaking God. He's a speaking God. And I'm hoping as we go through the series that we as a church would become more aware and alert of what he's trying to say to us together. I'm going to rush through that. Well, I won't rush. I'm going through the others a lot more briefly. Secondly, one of the other practices that the church have put in place to get before God and know Him is worship. I thought Eugene and the band did a great job today. Wonderful to sing songs of praise to God, and we want to do that throughout the week. But also, it's about living lives of surrender and sacrifice. Lord, my life is yours. What is your will? I surrender myself to you. What about Scripture? reading, studying, and meditating on God's words to us, that He could speak to us through that. Or fasting. We're going to be doing a fast as a church starting at the end of Feb. The 27th of Feb will be the first day we do it. And the idea is this. I think every year we fasted as a church, we've done kind of like a four-day event. I think for a lot of people, they're like, cool, I got through my fast for the year, now I'm safe until 2019, you know? But what we're going to do this year is we're going to spend four days fasting, four consecutive weeks. So we're going to do the 27th of Feb, and then we're going to do the 6th, the 13th, and the 20th of March. And we want to do it for this reason, so that actually fasting becomes a little bit more of a normal part of life, so that actually maybe you don't put it off till 2019, but you think, I'm actually going to fast every month or every week or every quarter or whatever it is, and this becomes one of the ways that we engage with God. And we're going to do this to hear God speak to us as we make more time to pray. So we're going to cut out food. Maybe you're going to cut out social media or TV or other distractions so that we can make more time to get before God. Fifthly, feasting. I think this church doesn't have a problem with this. Celebrating God's grace and goodness to us around a meal. We're doing it this Thursday night with guests who's coming to dinner. If you haven't signed up, sign up afterwards. What about giving? Giving time, money, your energy, the gifts that God has given you to serve God and the church and others in the city around us. Like Shane was talking about, if you're not serving this church in any way, why don't you join them up front here afterwards and find out how you can get connected? And I don't say this just because this church has chores to be done. We do. There's chores to be done in any family. But beyond this, this is a thing that will form and shape you more into the image of Jesus. What about reflection? Thinking on what God has done in your life over time or community. Spent the last two weeks really talking about this, so I don't want to spend much more time. But if you don't feel connected in this church, sign up for guests who's coming to dinner. If you feel like you've missed the boat on joining a life group you haven't, come and chat to me or someone afterwards. We would love to see you connected. Then there's a whole bunch of other things. Sabbath, submission to God, guidance by the Holy Spirit, actually simplicity, which in a materialistic and consumeristic world is huge, that actually we would find our satisfaction in Jesus and not in things. It's exactly what Paul is speaking about in Philippians 3. Everything else is scubalon, but Jesus is everything, you know? Psalm 73 verse 25, the psalmist writes, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Jesus is everything. The last two, repentance and confession of sins to God and one another. And all of these things that I've listed now are ways that we can put into place in our lives to get to know God and develop and build a strong relationship with Him. These are gifts for us. And a guy named Jeremy Treat says, The disciplines of the Christian life are less like boxes to be checked and more like a river that slowly carves a path in your soul. I thought that was quite powerful, you know. 
Some of us could think, okay, cool, Grant's given me the tricks. This is how I get brownie points with God. This is how I twist God's arm to get the things that I want. That is not what I'm saying here today. God loves you already. You don't have to earn his love. But all of these things are a gift given to us, actually to put us in God's presence and put us before him so that he could change and transform us by his spirit. So what is the first step? Do you just rush out here today? You've written all of those things down. You try to remember them. And today you try and put all 14 in place and just go crazy with trying to connect with God. I think the first step isn't so much what we do. The first step is who we are. We need to know who we are in Christ. And we see this throughout the scriptures, that the first step in knowing God is Jesus. He's the beginning and entry point. So in John 14, verse 6, Jesus says of himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Ephesians 2, 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In Ephesians 3, verse 12, In him, in Jesus, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. A powerful, powerful verses. I want to ask you today, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Not are you in the church, not have you grown up in a Christian bubble. Are you personally in Christ? Because he is the doorway and the entrance point through which we know God. If you're not sure today, we would love you to take that step, cross the line of faith, and enter into a relationship with Jesus, where you take your sin and you give it over to him, where you repent and turn to him, and submit your life to him, and begin to build a new life under his lordship and authority as king over your life. Jesus is the front door to knowing God. And listen, in this series, we're going to get practical. We're going to help you grow. But this is the big step. This is the first step. So if you don't take this step, none of the others really matter. This is the first step to knowing God. I think also there's probably quite a few people in this room today. You've been in church for a long time. This is a refresher. This is a reminder for you. You're hearing what I'm saying. You're saying, thank you, Grant. Some of those things have grown a little bit cloudy in my mind. But I also think there's a group of us inside that group who our confidence in coming before God is not based on being in Christ. It's based on what we do. And we're in this place where if we don't sin for a while, we feel like, cool, God loves me. I can come before God. I can pray. I can engage with Him. Or maybe it's not like spiritual things like that. Maybe it's not a sin thing. It's how you're doing with your wife, how you're doing with your kids, how you're doing with work. If you feel like a success, you can come to God. If you feel like a failure, you withdraw from God for a while. Or maybe it's even the things I'm talking about today, these spiritual disciplines. All of these things, actually, rather than being a gift to help us to know God, actually become an obstacle to us knowing God because we think, flip, man, I haven't prayed in a week. I haven't read my Bible in a month. I haven't ever fasted. I haven't done this. We feel disqualified from going to God because in the spiritual disciplines, we're not qualified. In our success or failure, we're not good enough. In our sinfulness or righteousness, we never measure up. But if you are in Christ, it says in Ephesians 3 verse 12, in Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. And my hope today is if you are unsure that you would pray a prayer, give your sin over to Him, say, Jesus, I give you my life. I want to be in you like Grant spoke about so that I might begin this journey of knowing God. Can I ask you to stand with me and we'll pray.
If you don't mind closing your eyes, I'd really like to ask you to do that now. Um, what we're going to do this morning is this. The band is going to lead us in worship. This is our time of responding to God and what He's saying. If anything I've said this morning has really stood out to you and you feel like God is doing something in your heart and you want to respond, I want to invite you. You don't have to do this, but I want to invite you to come forward and some of our leaders would love to pray for you. And I thought there were maybe three particular groups of people that God was wanting to highlight. The first are those who need to be in Christ. You're in your sin. You're separated from God. You know you need to repent and believe this morning. I'd love you to come forward and someone could speak to you and pray with you. Secondly, there are those who need to put their trust in Jesus. Maybe you have been putting your trust in all these other things that I've spoken about. And actually this morning you realize, I need to be in Christ. I need to focus on that and repent of all of these distractions. Or maybe thirdly, as I've spoken about Paul's incredible passion and love for God, you realize, actually my heart has grown cold to Jesus. I need to repent. I want to come back to my first love. Now is the time to respond to what the Holy Spirit is saying and ask God for His grace. So if you want to come forward and respond, you can. I'll just pray for us as the band starts to play. Lord, we want to know you as a community as we start these eight weeks. I pray for your incredible grace on our Sunday times together, on our life groups, personally as we wake up and as we pray and as we seek you. And just this morning as we kind of introduce all of this, Jesus, we want to be in you. I pray even now for people to feel their sins washed clean and washed away. I pray you'd pour your grace out into our lives. And I pray for those of us who've never heard you speak before, that you would speak to us, that we would get to know your voice, that we'd mature and grow. We are hungry for more of you, Lord God. So would you be among us, speaking to us and moving among us? We need you. Would you meet us where we're at, we pray. Amen.